Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Venture Stories by Village Global. I'm here today with two very special guests, longtime friend Ruben Harris, uh, founder and CEO of Career Karma, and David Phillips, uh, entrepreneur and investor, uh, founder of Hackbright and Bloomjoy. David Ruben, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. This is round two for Ruben. Uh, if you haven't yet listened to round one, which was actually on the Product Hunt podcast many years ago, I suggest you check that out as that was a classic. Why don't we start with you, Ruben? Why don't you introduce Career Karma and the problem you guys set out to solve, and then we can get into what HackRight was. Yeah, so Career Karma is an app that matches people to job training programs called coding boot camps, and we give them support for the rest of their careers. So from a problem perspective, there's hundreds, some people say thousands of coding boot camps that exist out here. So the first solution that we give them is which program or programs are best for them based off of their career goals. Um, more importantly, we recognize that a lot of people start these programs but don't finish it. So we put them in small groups called squads that are about five to 20 people that give them the psychological support, motivation, and discipline to start and finish their programs. Right. Awesome. David, how about you? So, yeah. So we started uh, Hackbright back in 2012. We started Hackbright to help more women get into engineering jobs. We were really fascinated by this new coding boot camp um, opportunity and how incredibly fast people could ramp up and get the skills they need to get jobs. Um, and there's also a huge lack of women in these engineering programs and in these engineering jobs. And we we're wondering why. And um, yeah, so we started Hackbright initially. Um, we just did a cohort of about 12 students. And we we're like, let's try this, do it all female cohort, see how it goes. And it, and it went really well. Most of the students got jobs, and so we just we kept going. Awesome. Let's zoom out a little bit and talk about how boot camp uh, industry ha has evolved. So you were mentioning earlier before the, uh, the podcast that we're in the second wave. Why don't you zoom out and talk about what was the first wave, what is the second wave now, and what could the waves look like in the future? Yeah, so the first wave, I would say, started back around 2011, 2012. We had um, one of the very first coding programs was called Code Academy, based out of Chicago. And they were like a three, six month program to teach people web development. Right. Shortly after that, I think Code, Code Academy, the, the online education company came out. Um, and there was just like millions of people starting to learn how to code. And what precipitated the, the wave then and not five years before then? Was it just the rise of engineering jobs, the rise of tech, tech companies? Or? Yeah, I think the rise of engineering jobs. Yeah. I mean, startups were just booming. Uh, more people were becoming more interested in post tech startups. Network. Yeah. Post social network. Yeah. I think people talk about STEM a lot, right? So like people have been talking about STEM for a very long time. And so when you were thinking about the jobs that were available for people that focus on STEM, it's been software engineering for a minute. Yeah. Um, it hasn't been for a long time, but it's right. increasingly growing. I think mainly because of the app store. Got it. Okay. So first wave code academy. Yeah. So code academy. And then, um, the first like in person coding bootcamp, dev bootcamp was started in San Francisco and I was in that first cohort. My co-founder of Hackbright was also helping teach that. And in that cohort, we also had uh, Kush, the founder of App Academy, Tony, the founder of uh, Hack Reactor, and uh, Michael Kaiser-Nyman, who's the founder of Epicodus up in Portland, and I think a couple other people that ended up doing coding bootcamp stuff. But yeah, it was like... Um, it, it was, was like the, the first... PayPal mafia of bootcamp. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was like... Uh, I mean, we all just had this incredible experience of like... You know, I had previously been a non-technical co-founder, always had to like, 
you know, figure out how to build things, you know, hack things together or hire somebody. And it was just, you know, once you learn how to code, you could like, uh, not only could you get a job that pays you really well, yeah. but you can sort of build anything you want. So it was just like super empowering experience. And I think a lot of us are like, wow, this is like incredible. You know, we should do this. Got it. And so how did that lead to the second wave? I think the second wave is, you know, the first wave was very much like in person, yeah. like vocational training, like, you know, three month, two, three month program. I think the second wave, I think is really sparked by, um, like Lambda school. And I think it's because of their success so far and, you know, raising money, also their marketing, just like their brand awareness and also success as a company has really sparked interest from like a much broader community, I think of like, you know, venture investors and stuff like that. And so, so yeah, so I think that next wave is more of like online, remote, more scalable. Um, I think that's where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. And what I would add to that is like to his point on the bootcamp 1.0 phase, it was mostly in person, but also tuition up front or us alone through like a yeah, skills totally. fund or something like that. Um, and then with the bootcamp, 2.0 phase, it wasn't just about online. It was about flexibility, right? Mm-hmm. So can you do it part-time, full-time, self-paced? Um, but also most people didn't have $10,000, $20,000 in their pockets. So how can we finance this? Not just with uh, a loan or a scholarship, but through a living stipend or income share agreements, which you talk about and I'm sure we're going to cover today. I would also say another phenomenon that you see powered by uh, organizations like General Assembly or even Hack Reactor is this corporate training and employer funded training that a lot of boot camps like even Trilogy are doing where they're partnering directly with companies to reskill current employees. And that's also starting to be an interesting thing where companies are also funding people to be skilled in specific communities that are diverse, kind of like what uh, uh, David did focusing on women. Yeah. And so what is 3.0 going to look like? Honestly, I think that if you look at the cost of education globally, that actually goes down to zero. Um, and I think that like, that's going to continue to trend up where like right now you see kind of like boot camps ticking a little bit higher. ISAs are a nice temporary solution. Government or employees are going to get involved to try to decrease the cost for individuals. It means the cost goes to zero, meaning it's going to be free. Yeah. I think, I think eventually that's going to be a yeah. more longer type turn type of thing, in my opinion. And if the cost of education goes down um, and people are going to multiple schools and multiple companies in a lifetime, then what's more important is the relationships and the network. Um, mm-hmm. That's part of the reason why I like what you're doing with Village Global. And so I think that like um, what's going to, what the future is going to look like is people are going to work in one, co- at one job for maybe one to three years and go to the next job for another one or three years. And so what's going to happen is you're going to always look for your options based off of whatever you want to do in life. Right the job training programs for them. And you're going to find people that are like you, that are going to help you. And that's never going to change. You're never going to be able to predict what jobs are going to be in the future, but you're always going to be able to figure out what are the current jobs? Where can you go to get the training? And where are the people that are like me that can help me get there? Anything you want to add on the third wave? Yeah, no, I I totally agree. I think um, relationships are going to be really important. I think also experience is going to be really important as the cost of education gets closer and closer to zero. You're probably going to see more people getting more specific in industry niches. So, you know, if I want to get a job at an education company, then I'll, you know, there'll be more niche education for programmers for education companies, things like that. I think where people can develop job experience in specific industries to help, help land that next job. Yeah. I mean, something else that he touched on that made me think about just like just personalization in general, like everybody, one school is not going to be the best option for everybody. Everybody learns differently. So you're always going to find not just the best program for 
your ROI that gives you the best job. You're also going to figure out which program resonates with you the most from your learning style. You might not want to learn online. You might want to work in person. You might want to have one-on-one mentorship. You might not like mentorship at all. So it really depends on who you are as an individual. Yeah. And so the cost of, we think the cost of, you know, education via boot camp goes to zero over time, but universities only seem to be getting more and more expensive. How, how do boot camps and universities interact? I think that's a great question that we didn't touch on in the different phases. Um, I think you're also starting to see boot camps themselves launching. I mean, universities themselves launching boot camps. You see the breakout success of Trilogy. Trilogy got acquired for like, what, $750 million um, by uh, 2U. Um, and so they're on all kinds of prestigious campuses. I don't believe they have an ISA option, um, but it is lower cost than their traditional program and it is shorter. And they have graduated thousands and thousands of people. Um, and they're doing well. I think that it's going to be interesting to see if there is an option where a university launches an ISA powered bootcamp because colleges themselves are launching ISAs. I do know that like Flatiron has partnered with Yale to do a university one. I know Full Stack's doing things with different universities and all kinds of things like that. So I think, you know, you see all these reports from, uh, big names that say that college is going to completely go away or half of them are going to go away over the next few years. I do think that you're going to see a lot of them go bankrupt, which you're seeing right now even. But I don't think they're going to completely go away. I think they're going to evolve. And this ROI-driven model is going to be the wave, whether you call it a boot camp or not. Yeah. Right now, boot camp has largely been around coding, but you're starting to see growth and sales. How wide can this model yeah. extend? So I honestly believe that um, boot camps non-technical roles are going to be bigger in the future of work just like they are today. Um, you see really awesome programs like um, FlackJ, who was in our own Y Combinator batch. Uh, you see SV Academy. Uh, you see Career2 focus on marketing. Um, you see uh, GrowthX and all these other programs. I think that um, even right now, we are specifically focused on software engineering, but we do have several people in Career Karma that are doing UX, UI, and data science because the programs that we work with have added those tracks and people were interested in them. I think it works very well in STEM. I think it can work in um, things that aren't STEM related, um, but I think that it's going to have to become more standardized. I think sales is a natural one because sales training has historically been bad and very high turnover. But if you think about the biggest startups and the biggest companies in general, they wouldn't be where they are without a sales team. They pay very well, and it's a shorter timeline. But I do think that vocational training in general can be interesting outside of um, just even tech roles like barbers and makeup artists and um, nurses and things like that. I think that's going to be a little bit harder. When I was at Honor, I helped build out vocational marketplaces in training with nurses. So I've seen that before. We had something called Honor University. So it'll be interesting. But I think the next wave is, is sales and marketing. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think this format of education can work for any job. I think the, the pain is like the most big, I think, for software engineering. That's been the biggest gap, but it works, you know, especially as more and more software tools exist for people to do their jobs better. There's always going to be stuff to train people for. It's almost like there could be, you know, four to 12 week programs for any job, right? To become an accountant, become a marketer, salesperson, any entry level job. You know, you can you can ramp someone up by teaching them, you know, how to use the tools and how how the jobs work. To touch on that, and sorry to cut you off in there. So 
I graduated from a school that most people have never heard of called Southern Adventure University at a 2.98 GPA, but I wanted to be an investment banker, but I had no idea how the process worked. And I discovered a program called Breaking into Wall Street. So to his point, this was an online course that literally taught me financial modeling in a summer. And I figured out how to teach myself these skills, crash career fairs for the class that was in front of me and get land a job as an investment banker when most people told me it was impossible. And to his point, I never thought about it like that's essentially a short course to teach accounting and finance. And I think you can do that for all kinds of other things that you wouldn't normally think about. Right. Do you envision like liberal arts boot camps in the future? Like can you even get into that or is that different? Well, so liberal arts is interesting. So I'm a cellist as well. Yeah. Um, and I also think about like martial arts, for example. So I do jujitsu as well. So there's this program called Gracie University and they're training like hundreds of thousands of people to do jujitsu online and like how to use your garage as a place to practice as a, like a substitute gym using the courses online with a partner. And they're actually doing it pretty successfully. And I'm seeing branches of that starting to pop up. I never, so for example, I never thought it's possible for me to teach cello successfully to someone without doing it in person. Yeah. But I think it, there may be a way. It's just, that's just a different form of thinking. Yeah. But I think it's possible. Is is the, is the future boot camps more in person or more online than it is today? Or is it the same? I think it's a comp, I think you're going to see a hybrid just because like everybody doesn't want to do online or offline. The same, like we did an interview with the CEO of Thinkful that we just dropped today. They just got acquired by Chegg and you know, they talked about part of the reason why they started this program and he started it with another, uh, Teal fellow. They started it during the era when people said that MOOCs were going to replace universities. But then they realized that like, that's not how everybody learns. So what they wanted to do was like have one-on-one mentorship support the online education movement. I do think that like, to your point, if you don't have an online option that's scalable, it's going to be very hard for you to grow. And that's why currently the people that we work with in Career Karma have an online option that has the ISA model. So it's more accessible to people. However, I don't think that it's impossible to create a offline model that scales. Yeah. 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 I mean, I agree. I think you, you could create a massively scaled in-person experience, but I think it just looks more like college. Yeah. Like once you see these in-person things scale, you start to realize why colleges run the way they run, why they have massive like lecture halls and things like that. I think, you know, with all the like remote work technologies and stuff, it's just making it easier to run these online programs. And I think, you know, back to the, you know, boot camps for liberal arts, liberal arts. And I just, I think anything with a coach and accountability and like curriculum, you can do online or in person, like just having that structure and and a peer group, like those things just, just like a recipe to like push people to whatever, whatever the goal is. Yeah. Yeah. One one other thing on this is like, you know, you might think about like a Kumon school, which still exists today. Mm -hmm. It's like really big, but we did a interview with the CEO of, or the co-founder of uh, Flatiron school that's owned by WeWork. Um, and, they think about WeWork like a global campus. And yeah. so like that might be a way to leverage current infrastructure. Right. Mm-hmm. You could also think about like churches, right? That are like underused real, real estate that like are used one day of the week and the rest of the week is not used. You might think about public libraries that are currently not used that can just take the model, take the online curriculum and just like use these right. as centers. Some people are even saying you can do it through McDonald's because yeah. McDonald's are starting to serve as community centers for people like Starbucks or whatever. Yeah. So I think if you think about current real estate infrastructure that's not currently used, they can 
take the online models and then like teach it to the people that normally visit there, which are the demographic that these programs are serving. Wow. So I want to zoom out again and ask sort of the, the dumb VC question, which is why haven't there been multi-billion dollar outcomes in, in, in the bootcamp industry? I, I feel like, or, or even coding education, I feel like people were expecting, and there's been some nice outcomes we mentioned trilogy, but why hasn't there been more? Yeah, I think, I think there will be. I think I agree with you. There hasn't really been a ton. There really hasn't been any, you know, multi-billion dollar exit at all in, in the space. Trilogy is the biggest one. Yeah, I think, you know, part of it has been educate. The hardest part, I think, about this industry is getting people jobs. That's, that's what, that's what, you know, the schools are selling and that's what they have to deliver on to continue to get more students. And, um, it's really hard to do that at scale. And so I think once that's figured out, we will see a lot more bigger outcomes because so, so colleges, for example, train like 20 million students per year. So they're doing like half a trillion dollars in revenue. I guess that's pretty much the addressable market for any of these vocational schools. Right. And, but because of the ISAs and because of the accountability that the schools have to get people jobs, like that's the bottleneck. And so can you get people jobs at scale? And then once you can, you know, maybe that market size changes, maybe not. But yeah, once you can do that at, at scale, I think you'll see the big outcomes. I think the next, you know, all the publicly traded education companies now are sort of the the former, you know, early online university companies. And I think, yeah, I think we will start to see, you know, coding boot camps become, you know, publicly traded. But I think, yeah, I think the getting people jobs at scale is, is the hardest part. Yeah, I, I like to think about it kind of like the airline industry or like, you know, the Wright brothers figure out how to get something to fly, but there's no Wright brothers airline industry that exists today. Yeah. They just proved that something can get off the ground. And now there's like multi-billion dollar airlines, right? It took a long time to get yeah. there. I think the first boot camp founders that came out, they, I don't think many of them were very, were venture backed. And if you think about something that's not venture backed, it's not trying to create a billion dollar outcome. It's trying to prove something that works that supports a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle business where they, create something that makes millions of dollars that supports their family and helps other people. I think now you started to see like the full stacks and these other organizations coming out, getting venture backed, starting to have a mindset thinking about scale. And to his point, now that Lambda has also taken, I think probably the largest amount of venture funding and like really started to focus on doing something that scales a lot of other copycats like Lambda for X is like are coming out, but you know, like there's multiple, there's going to be multiple winners in the space. And if you go to look at the university market, you see there's like not much difference between Stanford, Columbia and Yale. They all have different formats. Southern New Hampshire University, which is like the biggest one in the nation from a for-profit university perspective, we're not going to go too deep into for-profit education, but they have over a hundred thousand students. 97% of them are online and they have a, a billion dollar budget. 20% of it goes towards marketing. You can read this all on Forbes and they have a 41% completion rate, right? And that's across disciplines. If you take the same model, and that's, this is one school and you apply it to one discipline with a hundred thousand students that are all doing one discipline, whether it's software engineering or anything else, you have a multi-billion dollar company, even at tens of thousands of students. Yeah. And so, we already have programs from a university perspective that exist that are doing well in that regard. So I see multiple schools 
focusing on different skill sets that are going to be big. And I think that there is, it is possible to create a monopoly on a certain skill set, but you're not going to be a monopoly on every skill set for that's going to be the one stop solution for everybody. There's like, it's like saying, I'm going to create a hospital that's going to heal the entire world. Like there's different things. The, the reason I think, uh, and, and why Trilogy had such a high exit, I think they have sort of the open enrollment business model where anyone can sign up who's interested and they're not held accountable. Right. So, and so their addressable market is much bigger and they can onboard people much faster. Whereas with the ISA model, you have to be really good at what you do. You have to get people jobs and to be competitive, you need to be at least, you know, 70, 80% placement rates. And so, so yeah, I, I, I don't know how long that's going to take yeah, for, for, for that, for people to be able to place at that rate at that scale. Yeah. That takes time. So to his point, like as education evolves and we're trying to hold ourselves accountable to outcomes, it's better to not grow crazy and have like mediocre outcomes for yeah. most people and like great outcomes for a very small percentage of people and figure out how do we serve this, like the majority of people that are coming through our open doors if with open enrollment and hold ourselves accountable to that. And once we perfect that, then scale it. Right. It's kind of like the whole like um Pegasus startup type mindset that Jason Kyle kind of talks about where it's like flying over the wings of VCs with profit and like not just like raising all this money and just yeah. like not ha- being successful and it's harder, but better for people. Totally. Yeah, I agree. And I think as companies figure it out and they start scaling, it's just going to get massive. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so you're saying they're, they're private companies that will compete with the South Hampshire model basically? Oh, no doubt. Yeah. yeah. And so what I was interesting about, since we're going to talk about it, fine. Yeah. So I encourage everyone to watch a documentary called College Inc. It's free and it really explains how, for-profit universities grew. I think that there's positive and negative for-profit universities, so I'm not going to call out a specific one. But essentially, what happened is they would buy these schools that were accredited, apply really good sales and marketing tactics to them towards poor people that qualify for student loans and just pump them up without worrying about whether they graduate and get the job that pays off the amount of loans that they took out. With that said, if you watch the documentary and you pay attention to their sales and marketing tactics, they I would argue they compete with the best enterprise companies around. And if you take those same sales and marketing tactics and you apply them towards individuals that need this type of support and they are held accountable to outcomes, you will create something that changes the world. Sales and marketing is not always predatory. And so as you watch the movie, think about the flip side or the documentary, think about the flip side of rather than pumping people towards things that are going to damage people, what would happen if they were pointed towards programs that get them an outcome in a short amount of time? That is what we are really excited about. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. That's a great documentary. One of the interesting things there too is that one of the things that really helped grow the industry and why the school started doing the sales and marketing, I think, was because of federal funding opened up for these types of programs where you are allowed to have up to 90% of your revenue, tuition revenue could come from federal loans. And so at that point it was just about like how many people can we find that qualify for these and get them into these programs. And so I could see in, in uh, like Ruben was saying, like imagine if these were like, I think a lot of the for-profit formerly former for-profit universities kind of get a bad rap. 
But imagine if there were really great programs that were held accountable, that were getting people jobs, that you applied these these same sort of marketing tactics to to getting people enrolled. Yeah, the market could the market support that? And and there's um I know on the federal level, at least during the Obama administration, there was a lot of interest in supporting coding boot camps and getting like federal funding to these boot camps through university partnerships, community college partnerships. So I think that's definitely something that could happen in this space too, where federal funds open up to um, fund people who want to get into these programs, which could then, you know. Yeah. And that, that program was called um, Tech Hire, hmm. right? And there's like WIOA Act and there's the Job Corps and all these things like government, like part of a po- politician, they want to be like, I got jobs from my city. And you could still look up Tech Hire right now and see all the programs that are connected to all the things that are on a website. But a lot of people, you can't just put jobs on a website and expect people to get the jobs. And job boards are kind of dead today. And so I think to his point, we are going to see a blend of government, education, and companies in this new Bootcamp 3.0 era. Yeah. And so as you were thinking about Career Karma and thinking about where the big opportunity was to have a company, a big company in the ecosystem, how did you think about your specific sort of wedge and go to market? Like yeah. you didn't say, hey, we're going to build a Lambda competitor or from day one, or yeah. we're going to do, you know, this a direct copy of South Hampshire from day one. How did you think about your entry? Yeah. So like, you know, there's a variation of like competition that's for losers where like creativity is the opposite of competition. We're all natural at things that aren't natural to everyone else. And essentially we built a product that we wish that we had when we were breaking the tech. So my co-founders did App Academy and Hack Reactor. My brother did App Academy. I did not do a coding bootcamp, but essentially we personally have been through the issues that people have been through. We started this podcast just we, with no intention of starting a business, it was just understanding the issues of, of people that have broken into tech and the founders that were creating these these companies. And when you think about VC startups, ideas that like get really big, usually they start off as something that's that's stupid, and you can focus on a niche that gives you escape velocity. Yeah. And so you talked a lot about sequencing markets. I've seen some yeah. of your tweets that are really good, and we're like, well, you know. Coding boot camps aren't the biggest market because they haven't built this billion dollar exit, but like we want Lambda School to be the biggest possible and we're going to support them as much as we can because they hold themselves accountable to outcomes. What other schools do we need to work with that give people the options, the best options that get them the job that they want, right? If, if we don't have them in our platform, those are the types of people we should be talking to. It shouldn't be like, let's get to all the schools that exist out here that are coding because let's focus on the people that are going to get people to job. And so we're like, if we can really focus on doing these things, then we're going to do something really special. And then once we perfect it for software engineering, then we can expand to other skill sets. And rather than focusing on every single layer, which we did when we first applied to Y Combinator, we're like, we're going to do everything. We're just like, let's focus on the admissions funnel. The admissions funnel is an issue for colleges. The admissions funnel is an issue for companies themselves. Like if you apply to Google and you have the skills to go to Google and you get rejected, it's highly like you end up at Facebook, but Google will never know that, right? Same type of thing. If if you get rejected from uh, Hackbright and you end up at, I don't know, Flatiron and you get their women's scholarship, a lot of times Hackbright will never know that. So we're like, we can really create this network that captures all these different things. And we also knew that it was more than preparing workers for the fourth industrial revolution requires more than job training. And so like the the last thing that I'll say about this essentially is that if you think about the success of boot camps now and 
the potential for these huge billion dollar outcomes in this even university 3.0 era or whatever at whatever number at the end is kind of like a gold rush. And if you think about a gold rush, the way to make money in the gold rush is picks and shovels. So that's what we are. It's interesting. So tension where the more successful you get, you guys have been crushing it. You, you, is there sort of pressure of, Hey, you know, we, we get all this inbound and yeah, we make some on the back end, but should we just be creating our own arm bootcamp as well? And similarly with, uh, you know, all these schools like, Oh yeah, career karma is sending us all these people. Should we be trying to create what they have? Yeah. That's a, it's a beautiful question. And it's literally like the, the question that came up so many times during fundraising where people, like some people literally thought that we were trying to compete with them. They thought they made acquisition offers, all kinds of things like that, but we never want to be the school that actually defeats the purpose. Like essentially, like I said before, there's not going to ever be one school that solves every single person's problems to try to get the skill set in the future. Like you might be the greatest um, program for software engineering, but you might not be the best person for, I don't know, pick rent product managers. Right. Yeah. And so we essentially always want to work with these different programs. As far as like people creating their own funnel, when we created career karma, it wasn't about just creating something where we send you a person, a qualified applicant, and then it's done. And for the people that don't know, Essentially, what Career Karma does is it sends job training programs qualified applicants. So we're the best in the world at attracting and pre-training pro- people for coding boot camps. And the majority of people that apply to coding boot camps on their own don't get in. And that's why you hear people saying, I have such a really low acceptance rate. But the people that are getting accepted doesn't mean that they don't want to go there. They just want to figure out how to get ready. So when someone enrolls and starts at a coding boot camp, we get paid a fraction of the tuition that we're able to reinvest into building a product and a network and give uh, personalized support to these individuals. So there are people that have tried to do what we what we're currently doing, but they don't have a product, they don't have the coaching, they don't have all these Community. different things that we have. And I think the biggest differentiator that we have outside of just good pre-training and product is we have a community of people helping people and that and the trust. And you cannot beat that. Since January we have over thirty eight thousand people inside of the app right. and that's throttled. That hasn't even been like what we're gonna do in the future. It's just slowly just curating and making sure everybody feels loved and supported. He who owns the uh, customer relationship wins. So I feel exactly. good about that. And well, related to that, like if you think about our niche, right? We wanted to get people into the program, but after somebody's inside of a job training program, they're still using career karma inside of the boot camps. Not just one bootcamp, they have access to all the other people in other bootcamps yeah. and on our spotlight tab, they could always see meetups and workshops from other people if their current bootcamp isn't supporting them. And then when they get to the job search, they don't just get access to the career coaches and the support from one bootcamp, they get access to career support from all the bootcamps. Yeah. And so that is really powerful for the individuals. And if you think about us helping someone get their first job, they probably are going to come yeah. back to help us get their next job. So what we're doing with the submissions funnel for bootcamps, we can do the same thing for companies. And it's kind of like hire.com or triple byte for job training programs. And eventually we're going to do it for companies as well. We're just going to have our own supply that we've grown that's bigger than the current engineering workforce. Yeah. I mean, I, I think career karma has the opportunity to be one of the biggest players in the space. I think talk, talking about the, you know, billion dollar exits, I think there's just, uh, it, it just solves such a huge problem for schools and for students, like people who want to get into programs who can't. Top of the funnel is like the biggest problem for all of these job training programs. And then all of the opportunities down the road of helping people get jobs 
Uh, it's just massive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to zoom out a little bit. Let's pretend that we, us three, were running a fund that was dedicated to investing in, the, in some of the spaces and companies that we've been talking about. Uh, bootcamp, future of work, future of education, et cetera. What would our request for startups be? Like what companies don't exist yet today or don't exist at scale aren't billion dollar companies, which is everyone, um, are going to be big in the next five to 10 years. Where would we be looking to invest? Where should other VCs be looking to invest in the category? Yeah, I think um, you talk about it a lot, but I think something big is going to happen with the income share agreement space. Yeah. Just, I think if you look at the Google searches for coding bootcamps, they're pretty high. But if you think about income share agreements, it reminds me of the same time when Cody Bootcamps were first around in like 2011, like David mentioned, where nobody really knew that they existed and it's still relatively quiet. But if you look at like companies like SoFi or all these things that are like in the current student loan market, if this becomes not the only option for people, but a major option and companies like Blackstone and Wall Street starts paying attention to this and it does get support from the government, that's a really, really, really big deal that's going to change the game. So I think in the income share agreement space, that's going to be something big. I think there's going to be a big winner on online um, bootcamp um, or software engineering. I think there's going to be a big winner in offline software engineering training. I think there's going to be a big one in non-technical roles for sales, for sure. And I think we haven't even seen close to what's going to happen internationally. And I know that like China's thinking about vocational education and a bunch of other, and London, there's a lot of things that are happening with apprenticeships with like white hat and things like that. And so in Africa's big, big demand from job training, you see like Andela and we get requests from, from um, Africa all the time, Brazil, a lot of focus on job training. So I think that um that's probably where I would think about first for a job, for job training stuff still in the STEM area. Yeah, I, I agree with all those. I think definitely internationally. I think um, looking at sort of the unding, unbundling of the coding boot camps, like Career Karma is kind of taking you know the top of the funnel, getting how to get people interested or uh, get people sort of pre-qualified. Then you have the coding boot camps who are still doing the education. I think the job placement piece, everyone is still doing internally. I think there'll be someone who figures that out, how to do that at scale and goes into like how to onboard interns at companies, how to onboard new hires at companies, making that very scalable. I'm curious, what is the role of uh, of companies here? I've, I've long been curious. I tweeted you this: Why doesn't Google, Facebook, I'd be out of these companies hiring massively have their own boot camps, maybe their own universities, I don't know, their own like dedicated pipeline? That's a good question. So I don't know if you've seen what Amazon just did. Yeah. Um, they just dropped seven hundred million dollars to I think retrain a third of its workforce. I know we have the article on our blog, but essentially they launched something called exactly what you just said, um, a boot camp internally called Amazon Technical Academy. We're, we're good friends with the Groupon competitor. What's it called? Um, oh, oh, Living Social. Yeah, 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 Living Social. So he and I talked about this. He used to have something called Hungry Academy. Yeah, yeah that so, was like the original. Yeah, exactly. Code. So they had a boot camp internally. So that was a very big deal. I know Katarina Fake, she partnered, when she was at Etsy, she did something with Recurse Center. So they would train people internally. Um, but I think Amazon Technical Academy is a good example. I think Home Depot has launched their own things internally as well to start retraining people and reskilling people. And even Facebook, like you said, they used to have their thing that called, called Facebook University run by CodePath. Mm-hmm. Um, and CodePath, if you want to hear about them, they're on our podcast as well. But essentially, um, I do think that you're going to see that more. I know Salesforce, Salesforce is doing a lot of things in that regard. I think that for some companies, they're not at the size where they can do that. But, or that they want to take that type of training on, they usually outsource it kind of like sales training or uh, Wall Street prep, whatever. 
Um, but I think that that's probably going to be the biggest growth for bootcamp people. Uh, for book, people that are running boot camps from a money perspective. And I know a lot of boot camps right now that are really doubling down on corporate training and rescaling to help either, uh, if, if I was a company launching my own boot camp, they, my, the curriculum will be powered by somebody else, kind of like an OPM. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, I think boot camps are going to power a lot of these things. Before Hackbright was acquired, we sold a enterprise training program to Disney where we basically, we ran the admissions process and the education process internally for them to recruit people from their parks from everywhere within the company to go into uh, engineering roles. Yeah. 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 But I've been curious and maybe the answer is it's just not their business and it's a distraction, but why not compete with Stanford or Harvard directly? Like if Google or Facebook wanted to launch a university, could, I mean, these things are good businesses that have other, you know, an- ancillary, you know, external benefits of having that talent pipeline. That that's one question that broadly, I just want to dig in more on, on the future of, of higher ed, you know, We've seen sort of the education get commodified, as you were saying, Ruben. And so with, with these universities, you know, 10 years ago is what you learned. Now it's it's the credential and, and the network. And I'm, I'm building this thing, Cosign, which may should be launched by the time we release this, which is trying to do peer-to-peer credentials. So if I ask you, David or Ruben, you know, who are the five best people you've ever worked with? That to me would be more valuable than a, than a Harvard degree because Harvard, you know, gives out, you know, thousands of these. They're sort of all similar, but I imagine you're, you're five people. So those are credentials that we are sort of leaving on the table right now. They don't exist. And so if credentials starts to get disrupted, what value do these things then, then have? And it's a network, but you could also, you're also starting to see, you know, these communities and networks pop up, you know, YC, Village Global, yeah. others. How do you guys see that playing out? I think these communities are places that are always going to be where you get your co-signers as well. So I think, you know, for the network and the community experience, uh, yeah, you'll get, you'll get the education plus, uh, people vouching for you. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think I have a, I have my own opinion about credentials, right? Cause like, I think that, you know, a lot of people that come to career company are like, well, do I get a certificate when I graduate? And if you look at tech companies, they've all dropped the requirement for like college degrees. And so that's one thing. And then also, if you look at me, like nobody technically looks at my degree and they're like, oh man, like you a rock star. Yeah. The reason why I got rep is because I went to a company that was investment banking where people thought I was smart because I worked there for three years. And then I started working at hot startups. And then now I got the YC brand. And so to your point, communities are valuable. When you start off in your career, your networks are more open, right? So you just like, you talk to whatever. But as you start getting more and more professional, your networks are more closed. And so if Eric introduces me to somebody, they're not going to look at my resume because Eric made the intro, right? So that's the cosign, right? That can come from a credential. But if we're going to multiple companies and multiple schools in a lifetime, what matters is not necessarily my credentials. It's what I've done and who's standing by and stamping what I've done, right? Because like, you know, a big, a big value of YC is not just getting access to the investors. Like there's probably dozens of people yeah. that are coming up with different ideas that are similar to YC, but they got the YC stamp. Right. So it makes it more credible. You still got to pitch. You still got to work hard. You still got to interview. You still got to do whatever if you're trying to get the job or raise the money, yeah. but that stamp does matter. And so when we talk to people that talk about credentials, we tell them what matters less is what your certificate is and what you know how to do. And there are some boot camps that are offering credentials. Like I know Kenzie Academy, they just raised the series A today. They give a credential with uh, Butler University. Mm-hmm. So if you choose to go back to college, you can do that. Right. So um, I don't think credentials are bad. 
Um, I don't think that they're being completely disrupted because we are human beings and we like to categorize things. Um, but I don't think that they hold as much weight as people think. Totally. What do we think that Lambda really figured out? Or what was it? Was it the marketing? Was it the ISA stuff? Like what, what was the insight or what made Lambda successful relative to all the others that tried or would try after it? I think that's a good question. Lambda is really great at a lot of things. And I don't want to speak for what they've done, but in my opinion, I really like that they've been able to do something online that served many people well. Right. So it's like, it's very difficult to serve many people well at scale online. And the other innovation that I think that they did is like, they also introduced this, uh, the mastery based learning thing where if you start falling behind, that's not the worst thing. You could still stay in their program and stay around. And then they're always constantly experimenting and they're really good marketers and making sure that they did the same taxes that I told you that for-profit universities do. Like they've really good at getting people aware. They're really good at closing them when they come into the funnel and holding their hand the whole way. And they're doing a great job. So I think I would argue what they did the best, if I was going to put in one word, is just execute better than everybody else. Yes. And always iterate on their admissions funnel. And that's the hardest part for most, most schools are bad at their admissions funnel. Yeah, I think they've done everything that you would want to see a venture back bootcamp do. I think they've been able to, I think it's like sort of, um, they have this sort of like fearless ambition, which I think comes with, you know, the timing where the market is and just, you know, how the founders think about it. Yeah, they've just been able to to go after scale uh, and execute with the way a venture backed company should. Yeah. And uh, what's going to determine whether they are able to expand it to other verticals or like how, how much is it not winner take all or winner take all like either the Lambda for for different categories within technology or Lambda for different industries? Like I won't speak about Lambda specific, but when I think about people, let's say that there's somebody else that's executing just as well as Lambda is. I think what you have to be careful of is the same thing that's facing a lot of other startups right now. It's like expanding too fast yeah. without getting something right first, right? I think in education, there's a natural bell curve, right? So there's going to be the top performers are going to get the jobs the fastest. There's going to be people in the middle that are going to take longer. And there's going to be people at the bottom. They're going to watch everybody else getting jobs and they're going to be upset. And they're going to, the pitchforks are going to come out right. as soon as like things start getting good. And that's naturally happening, not just for them, but for us, for everybody. Like as you start getting bigger, they ignore you, fight you, laugh at you, whatever. One, you know that quote, whatever, <laughs> right? So as, as, as people are going through this process, just make sure that as you're growing, that you're making sure that you're fully supporting the programs or supporting the programs as best you can. And yes, as you're growing at hyper, at venture back speed, don't let the other qualities suffer. And I think that's my biggest fear from this new era is that everybody sees the gold venture companies are coming in there and they're going hard, but sometimes too much growth makes certain students suffer. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think the industry, so I think two things need to happen for the industry to really explode is like all companies need to recognize coding boot camps the way that they recognize college degrees. And then all potential students need to recognize coding boot camps as a path to get into jobs. And so yeah. once that happens, I think a lot of massive growth will happen. I don't think we're there yet. But um, so I think, you know, like Ruben was saying, like growing too fast can be bad sometimes. And I think like the right now, I think the more patient boot camps, I think, are going to see a lot of success. Um, I think, you know, App Academy, for example, they've been around since 2012. They were the first coding boot camp to do ISAs. They just started doing online 
And because they're bootstrapped, I think they have to be a little bit more conservative with their growth and, and things like that. But I think that patience is important, I think, to, to, to seeing some long-term big success. Yeah. Yeah. In closing here, if we look, you know, if we're 10 years from now, we come back on, we do a rerun of this podcast. How, how has the world changed? Is it, hey, a lot of the universities have gone bankrupt, but, you know, Harvard and Stanford still basically look the same and they still run stuff. And then there are dozens of Southern Hampshire universities for, you know, different categories and different verticals. And Career Karma is the place that they all, all go. Add or edit to that. What, what, how does the world look different? Yeah, I think a thousand percent. My belief is what he just said. In the next 10 years, companies will see these bootcamp alternatives as a viable path and not discriminate against them. Individuals that want to be trained through these types of programs will see that as an option that they are not skeptical about. I do see career karma as a single point of contact for people when they are exploring these types of alternative programs to get connected, not just to the job training, but also individuals that are going through it. I do see universities involving to provide shorter form programs because they recognize that two to four years is too long to keep up with the pace of technology. And yeah, I think that's probably what I see. And I actually think just going back to what I said before, what's not going to change in this world is like people wanting to know what their options are, the training programs for them and people like them that have done it before. So we're our North Star is to help people make their most important career decisions. And that's essentially what keeps us going every day. Yeah, I agree. I think I think in the next 10 years, coding boot camps, vocational schools are going to be at are going to be like at almost the same scale as universities. I think um, universities are going to offer more short form programs. I think, yeah, I think companies are going to recognize these short form programs as a viable path to getting a job there. Yeah, I think it's just going to become a massive, a massively more available opportunity for everybody. A couple more things. It'll be a global phenomenon. ISAs will be way bigger than they are now. Government. I have a feeling, given the direction where our political climate is going, the current administration is very pro vocational training and future of work. I'll say like 45 and Ivanka Trump talks a lot about vocational tra- training. And if they stay in power or anybody else stays in power, like if, if jobs are our focus, like this is a path. American Job Corps program was like, a, I think, an $18 billion program that largely failed. So I do see government stepping in in a positive way, knock on wood. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, <laughs> totally. I think, I think the more, I think in the next 10 years, the government will fully support these programs. You'll see a lot more funding going through these, maybe even like ISA supported government yeah. funding. Oh, related to that, um, there's actually in San Diego, there's these things called renewable learning funds where workforce, there's 550 workforce development boards. So essentially they take ISA funding and partner with the university. I think UC San Diego. And essentially when they graduate, the people are paying the ISA back, but it re- renews the funds so that they're not dependent on government funding. And so they're trying to expand that across um, different workforce boards. So that's that's a good point. That's a big one. Yeah. And let's spend a, a minute or two on, on ISAs for a sec. What big company, you know, 10 years from now, we're back in this pocket. What, you know, multi-billion or, or big companies will have emerged that are leveraging ISAs or built because ISAs exist or for um, That's problem. a good one. I mean, like, the actual finance, financing providers like Vimo Education and Ed Lee and Leaf and things like that, I think those, some, somebody there is going to be big, if not all of them being big. To your point, ISAs can be applied to things that are not just education. And so 
I haven't thought too deeply about that, but I think there's going to be more things outside of that. I'd have to think creatively about yeah, it. Yeah, we actually a have a question. researcher called James Gallagher who's been on your podcast that's exploring these subjects. So we have like probably like 10 new pieces that we, that he's yeah. penning that it's going to be super fire. So stay tuned to yeah, that. Check out the um, career Karma blog. It's, yeah. it's great stuff there. Yeah. In closing, uh, David and I are proud investors, friends, and supporters of, of Career Karma. So, so Ruben, can you, uh, for people who want to go deeper, who might want to, you know, consider boot camps and le- learn more, w- what's the last uh, plug you can give on Career Karma? Thank you, Army. I think very simply, just download the app. Send me a message if you want to let me know what you think. Um, check out the Breaking Stars podcast, which is kind of like our megaphone. And inside of the app, there's a, a spotlight tab so you all can listen to it if you don't want to leave the app. Um, and just let me know what you think, positive or negative. We just want to get better. Um, this is early days. Um, I'm grateful for these two gentlemen that I met when I first came out here and going. The last thing that I'll say is that even though we're an app and this is a technology company, at the end of the day, this world of ones and knows is like anything else. It's all about relationships. Yeah. hundred percent. That's a perfect note to end on. I love your line. They thought we forgot about family. Exactly. <laughs> we'll never forget about family. Exactly. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thanks so much. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Please hit us up at villageglobal.vc slash network catalyst. 